Okay, good afternoon. This is the hardest spot because it's after lunch and after three classes. And uh, so I can be anesthesiologist. Today. <laughs> okay. um, sleep, yeah. Non-invasive. Okay. Um, I want to begin with a sort of comment about methodology. Because most of today's sure beat methodology. Uh, because a lot of you here are teachers. And I want to point something out that you should have noticed if you've been at the Yimeyun. Um, almost every shir that you go to has two parts to it. Part number one is called objective analysis. Okay? Part number two is subjective interpretation. I'll repeat that to make sure it's clear. The first part of the shir, the teacher takes the text and he objectively analyzes the text and to point out something peculiar, something, something which he assumes the author of the text was doing intentionally. Like, it might be using a key word over and over again. It might mean repeating the word, missing something. But usually, they'll take a text, analyze it, and we call that objective analysis. Why is it objective? Because it has to be objective. It's something you can argue. Now, the objective analysis should be significant. Sometimes you can analyze something and recognize that in this section, there are 273 words. So that's objective. You can count them and it's there. Does that, was that intentional? Maybe yes, maybe no. But let's say in a certain section, the word Allah is seven times, and the word Yarad is seven times, which is objective, isn't it? You can count that, or you can argue it. The question in a section, let's say the, let's say the story that introduces um, Muhammad Harsinai has the words Allah seven times and Yarad seven times. That might be incidental, just by chance, or maybe Chumash is doing that intentionally and wants the reader to pay attention to it. Understand? Just an example. That might, I'm not sure if it's true or not. There should be. <laughs> but, but let's say that was true. I would assume that that's significant. Again, it could always be by chance. So therefore, the first thing you do is objective analysis. That's always followed by subjective interpretation. Why? Because the interpretation is a function of that analysis. But I'll never know for sure if I've interpreted it correctly. Because Chumash doesn't come with the teacher's guide. It tells you, this is what God meant. Chumash is a book to study, not read. And therefore, when you study Chumash, the, the basic understanding is God gave us a text to study, and through the study of the text, we get the message. And therefore, there's a big argument, in fact, in, uh, in Herzog as well, among the teachers, what's the main thing we're doing? Are we studying what happened, or are we studying what's written? You follow? But for sure, I find out what happened, but is the message from what happened, or is the message from how it's written? And what actually happened is less relevant. Do you understand the difference? In other words, do I learn my message from Chumash by the events that took place? And Chumash is simply an authoritative text to tell me what happened. But I, I derive my message from what happened. Or is the main thing I'm doing when I study Chumash is not so much to find out what happened, but to, uh, to study what's written with the assumption that the way that Chumash writes the text is the message. Okay. Now the problem is, how do we know that our subjective interpretation is correct? In fact, what's Jewish tradition? We argue, don't we? That's that's what we call the machlokat parshanim. That's what I think. In this, I just by chance I noticed. I think there's like ten shurim this week on Kain and Hevel from every different <laughs> corner. I'm not sure how, but that every year something's popular, um, and it's all that's I'm, that's probably by chance. <laughs> but it's, a, it's it's an objective analysis of the schedule, but not intentional. I think. <laughs> now, um, let, let's say there was ten shurim about giving back land then I would assume that that's intentional. You understand? No. 
Um, so what happens? How do we know our subjective analysis is correct? Or is at least considerable? One is, it should be a good function of the... No, the interpretation, I'm sorry, has to be a function of the analysis. And if a lot of people agree, I call the answer is the Beit Midrash or Am Yisrael. Who decided that Rashi is the best interpretation? What makes a commentary authoritative? You do. If Am Yisrael, if 90% of Am Yisrael says this makes a lot of sense, you follow? Then that's a good chance there's something there. Uh, if someone says something and no one ever said it before and it doesn't make sense, then the, you understand the danger? That if I teach too much subjective interpretation, it becomes a free-for-all. And therefore, there's got to be some balance between authority and subjective interpretation. But on the other hand, without interpretation, Chumash is dead. And, and therefore, the mitzvah is to study Chumash, not just to read it, to study it. And then when I study at least objective analysis, I can appreciate the subjective interpretation of all the commentators, because that's what they all do. Now, for the fun of it, what do you call a shir that's only objective analysis with no interpretation? Exactly. <laughs> Those who didn't hear, it's called boring. Okay. Uh, and what do you call a share with no objective analysis and right interp- subjective interpretation? Yeah. It's called a seminary share, but that was a nice one. <laughs> I got you can't say those things anymore, can you? <laughs> From 10 years ago. Okay, no. Okay. So, in light of that, what I want to do is I want to explain the title. What's the title? The title is the Mishkan, which is a big topic in Chumash. Is it a reflection of, of, of Harsinai? of revelation, or a reflection of creation, because the two words rhyme. That's as cute. Now, the word reflection is saying there's subjective interpretation. You with me? Those, you, can, you can tell in the title, from the title you can tell that what we're going to do is, we're going to make some assumption, we're going to suggest some subjective interpretation, that there is some connection between revelation, or Harsinai, and the Mishkan, which is, I'm pretty sure, pretty famous. I'm assuming everyone knows that. That's a famous Ramban. Um, I'll explain them later on. The main thing I want to talk about is the connection between creation and the Mishkan. So what we need to do first is we have to have a subjective, sh- I'm sorry, an objective analysis of the creation story, at least one of them. And then we're going to do a, um, an analysis of the Mishkan and try to see if I can connect the two stories together with something which makes sense. And if it works, you'll judge. So what we're going to do first is something which I'm assuming you've done before, but I just want to review it. Anyone here who was at Yoni Grossman Shear yesterday or this morning? Um, was it this morning? I forgot already. Was it this morning or yesterday? It was yesterday. No, no, Hebrew. Yoni Grossman yesterday morning, he gave a shear on creation, about different color and creation. Uh, the first five minutes is a summary of that shear. Um, so if you want the details, they're all online now. You can go on uh, the... The Tanakh.org thing, the, uh, or dot com. But it's all, it's all over the place here. Uh, and they have all the shirin that were given in the shul are all up for grabs, up for viewing, and you can practice your Hebrew, and it's a really good, uh, resource. Now, um, let's take a look at Parak Aleph and Breshit. Again, I'm assuming we're all familiar with the story of creation. We read it Simchat Torah, we read it Sabbat Breshit. We grew up with it, and everyone knows creation took place in, how many days was it? Seven. Or either six or seven, depending on, Six, yeah, yeah. Six, there's six, six plus one. Fine. Plus now, one. Uh, what I want to talk about, something which should be rather obvious, the story of creation has a format. The format is as simple as could be to identify. Because how does every day of creation end? What phrase? Is that? Yeah. Every day ends with Vayer, Vayboker, Yom, 
blank. That's easy. And how does every day begin? Every day begins with Vayomer Elohim, possibly with one exception. Okay? If you look in your Tanakh, if you look at the paragraphs of the Parshiot, day two begins with Vayomer Elohim, day three begins with Vayomer Elohim, day four, day five, day six, you can't miss that. That's why uh, having a talk like this is always helpful. How about day one? Yeah. So if day one begins with Pasuk one, then we're off. Because that's, it starts Breshid Bara Elohim. But if verses one and two is an introduction, which makes a lot more sense, what's verse three begin with? Therefore, almost all commentators assume, because of that structure, that day one begins with Pasuk Gimel, with verse three, with Vayomer Elohim. And then, therefore, every day begins with Vayomer Elohim. Every day ends with Vayer Vayboker Yom Blank. And we have a format for creation. At least till Shabbat. Um, does Shabbat begin with Vayomer Elohim? No. You know why he doesn't? No. Yeah, it needs a topic. <laughs> well, it needs a topic. For good reason. Because every Vayomer Elohim is followed by something. Yeah. What always follows every Vayomer Elohim? Of course, words. Right? Yeah. Right? Not, no, not always the word by he. But every Vayomer Elohim is always followed by a command. You can check it out. Check the Hebrew. For example, Yehi Or. Command? Yehi Rakia. Command? Check it out. Every Vayomer Elohim in every day of creation begins with a command. And every command is followed by an execution. The simplest one is Vayomer Elohim, Yehi Or, command, execution, Vayi Or. Um, you say, um, and every day, check, we'll check it out in a minute. Every day begins that way. And after first God says something, he'll do something, and then he does it. I would hope he would. It's always followed, almost always followed by an evaluation. But, um, God's very worried about the parents coming and complaining, so, so everyone gets a good grade. What grade does every day get? Good. good. And there's one kid from, you know, from another community. I'm sorry. What, what happened on day two? For some reason, day two doesn't get a grade. That's not our topic. But in general, the format is, every day has an evaluation. I think some days give you more than, I mean, there's one of those days that gets a double evaluation. Remember Tuesday? It's a good day to get married. So, now, so again, follow. Every day begins with a command, followed by a execution, and followed by some evaluation and some add-on. We're not going to get into the add-ons. Ending with by by er by boker yom blank. That's simple. Um, I'll just note something that you say every day. If you say bruch shemar by olam bruchu bruch oser. Next line bruch omer ve'oser. Make sense now? Omer ve'oser. Um, if you get later on, if you're still awake. Um, um, what's God say about all the things he made? Kihu tziva v'nivro. Remember, hu tziva v'nivro. It comes up a lot of times in tefillah. Um, God said, and he, and he, and he done. In fact, um, there's a commandment we have to remember God's creation. We do it once a week. On Shabbat. And what's forbidden on Shabbat? What's called melechet machshevet. What's melechet machshevet? When you think about doing something, and then you do it. Again, that might be again incidental, or it might be that, that might be behind the idea of what's forbidden on Shabbat. If we're supposed to remember not that, not that just that God created, but how He created, and we'll see in a minute why He makes man, then what's Mlechet Machshevet, being forbidden on Shabbat, might be relating to the story of Breshit. Now, what I want to do in this year is something real simple in the first part. We're going to simply take a look at what is it that God created on each day? Because on each day, there's one act of creation. 
There's ever by Yom Elokim, followed by a command and an execution. So it's real easy. What did God make on day one? By Yom Elokim, or. or. That's simple. Not light, really. Light. We don't know what light is. We, we know that it is. We, don't, we know it's called or. What it is physically, we have no idea. Remember, I'll show you later on. Chumash isn't telling us how God did it. It's telling us why God did it. Uh, because uh, the story here doesn't, doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. Maybe sort of fits. But doesn't fit exactly the Big Bang Theory or any theory. Now, um, how about day two? What did God make? Yehirakiah. Uh, no, day two he didn't make the stars. Okay. And day two, he made something that doesn't exist. It's only perceived. Right? What's it say? What did God do? He made a mechitza between, a divider between... Yeah. No, not, there's no clouds yet. There's water everywhere. Not, maybe not, nothing to drink, but there's water everywhere, isn't there? But God divides between the water where? Up there. What, what do you call water up there? How do you say up there in Hebrew? Sham, maim. And what do we call that? Shamaim. So there's water up there. And then there's water down here, which is called Yamim. Got it. And what divides between them? Rakia. Rakia. Now, is there a Rakia? Is there a rainbow? No. I don't know. But of course there's a rainbow. Because <laughs> we all see it. But is there a rainbow? Of course not. It doesn't exist, does it? We're not talking about rainbows now. That's another story. Well, yeah. But, but we perceive a Rakia. Is there something there? No. I don't, I, but, but it's got to be there because we, we perceive it, don't we? So, yeah. so we'll call it for now a rakia. Because above the rakia is Shemaim, and below it is the, is the below the rakia, because there's no land yet. That's day two, and for some reason it doesn't have an evaluation, it's got lots of names, the Shemaim and Yamim. Now, um, how about day three? What does God make? No, not trees yet. I mean, not trees. First he makes land. Yikabu okay. Hamaim, that some of the water gathered together in a pool. And what's left over is Yabasha, or Adama, or what's it called? Uh, Yabasha, and he calls it Aretz. Got that? Let's see. How about day four? Is there a command? Yimorot, yeah. Now we have the big luminaries, the big one, the small one, and the little stars, etc. And he puts them up, and God makes them, doesn't he? He makes a command, doesn't he? Yimorot, and then he does it. Vayasalohim. Uh, what's it? There's a lot of doing there, and that's it's good. He gives he gives them actually gives them some power. It's, what is the Moor What's this? What we call this the sun? What's he in charge of? The day. So, like makes sense because it's when he's out. Um, and the Morakatan is in charge of night. Sometimes he's not around, but he's still in charge. Um, we don't see him all the time, but he's there. Uh, and and it's a good day, isn't it? Okay. How about day five? Uh, then we get already creepy crawler. We get, we get, um, we get living things finally. I mean, we get animals. We get fish and fowl, don't we? Fish and fowl. And what do we get on day six? We get animals. Got it. That's it. Now, day seven, nothing is made, and therefore it doesn't begin with what word? It doesn't begin with Yomer looking anything, because God's not making anything. He's got nothing to say. There's nothing to talk about, and there's nothing to create. What? That's a, that's for a philosophy class. Okay. What? Okay. No, we make chulin. Okay. <laughs> now, um, now, if I'm going to take a minute, just write something on the board, which is real simple. Um, I'm just going to write down on the board what we just did, because it works out real nice. On day one, we're doing old-fashioned, uh, old-fashioned teaching. Okay. 
Remember, day one was or. Well, right, real big, so you can see in the back. Day two, what was it again? Rakia. And day three was? Er, or Yabasha. Yabasha, which he calls Eretz, okay? Um, day four, yeah, you can't, wait, you can, can you see? Day three, you can still see? But I gotta go higher up now. Day four was what? Mo'orot. Sun of the moon. Day five. I'll, I'll write here in English, fowl and fish. And day six is land animals. Okay. We'll get to man in a minute. He's, he's one of the land animals, isn't he? He looks like one. Acts like one. Okay. Now, but yeah, look at the board. And I'm sure you realize what we just did. I'm sure you, I hope you noticed this before. Day one is parallel to day four. Right? Or Ma'orot, you can't miss it. Day two, look at it in your Tanakh that what's the Rakia divide between? Between what's above and below? What populates the Shamaim? Right? The fowl. What populates the Yamim? The fish. And what's between them? The Rakia. The word Rakia is there. Again, if we had a whole, like, if you want to see this in detail, Yoni Grossman did a whole share on it beautifully. We don't have time for that now. I'm just taking it for granted. But you can't miss the parallel. And day three is Yabasha Eretz and land animals. Got that? Now, that's objective analysis. Now, that might be coincidental, but it's so obvious, I don't think it could be coincidental. And therefore, Chumash is doing, the assumption is that's significant, and Chumash is doing this on purpose. Now, I don't know what it means yet, and at this point of the show, I don't care what it means yet, but it's objective analysis. That's why I gave my introduction. Now, someone made a good point. I, I, I skipped something, didn't I? Yeah, I skipped man, but I skipped something else. Plants. Okay, now, Look carefully at day three, and you notice that day three, the format is a little different than day one and two, and four and five. What's different about day three? Right. What was our assumption? Every day begins with a command, execution, evaluation, and then a summary. Look carefully at day three, and make sure you understand what's different. What's obviously different than day one and day two and day four and day five. It says two times... Uh, it's two times it's good. That, everyone knew on Tuesday it says two times it's good. But, we, but there's a reason why, why there's two evaluations on Yom HaShlishi. Because there's two acts of creation. It's not just the word Vayamer Lukim. There's two times Vayamer Lukim followed by a command, followed by an execution, followed by an evaluation. Again, format. Make sense? No. And therefore, there's going to be two parts to day three. We're going to call them 3A and 3B. We'll write on the board. Sorry. 3A and 3B. 3A is Yabasha Aretz. What's 3B? Asev, Basriya, Zera, and Pri, which you guys can't see now, Osepri. Or what we call, what did God create now? Death. Death. Why did I say death? Sorry about that. I'm sorry, God created life, didn't he? What type of life? Plant life. But the plants die, especially the ones we want to, you know, we can water them, but they die. But before they die, what can they do? They can reproduce themselves. Now, is there a connection between 3A and 3B? Is there a connection between Aretz, between land, and plant kingdom? Of course they're connected. How can they? Because what's necessary for plants to grow? You need land. That makes sense. Is there a difference between 3A and 3B? Whoa. We're going what's called from domain to tzomech. We're going from inanimate objects 
to to life. To life. Now, um, understand? I call that a quantum leap. And it's interesting that instead of just saying, lumping them together in one command, let there be land, let there be land and let their plants grow with it, Chumash purposely divides day three into two sections. Two, two commands and two, two commands and two executions. Make sense now? No. If our parallel is going in the right direction, what must I assume now about day six? Day six will also have two commands and two executions. And sure enough, if we look, does it work or not? Okay. And what's 6A going to be? Land animals, parallel to Aretz. And what's, day, what's 6B going to be? Man. Made how? B'Tselem Elohim. So we get, now we have three, 6A and 6B. What, 6A, if you can't see, if you don't need, you, 6B is man, Adam, B'Tselem Elohim. And that's the first time in all Parsha Breshit that we have the word Elohim. Why? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Why? <laughs> it's the last... Why the, did it change? No, but I'm sorry. I made a mistake there. Yeah. It's not the first time we have the name Elohim. No. Yeah. Ever since Breshit began, we're talking about many gods, aren't we? Because what's the word in Hebrew for many gods? Yeah, one god, one power. Elohim also means power. It can mean a judge. Someone with power is called an El. And the word in Hebrew for many gods is... Elohim. Elohim. Now, Chumash teaches us in, in a really cool way. Chumash teaches you monotheism by making a mistake in grammar. Doesn't it? In the opening line, it makes a mistake in grammar and conjugates Elohim, which should be plural, and conjugates it in the singular. And every Vayomer, Elohim. Now, and, and, um, but I'm sorry. And that happens almost every time. There's one exception, isn't it? Yeah. There's one exception when we go back to plural for Elohim. When God makes man. Now, without going, something's going on, you follow? I don't know why, but Chumash is up, it's, it's like, I call it wake up and smell the Chumash. So, some, Chumas, not Chumas. Chumash, not, not coffee. <laughs> From 11. Uh, it's a long day, because, uh, man's gotta put up, guys, I'll share your story with you, just for the fun of it. I was in plain view. Um, there was some, uh, minister who became, was a Bible scholar, and decided to become Jewish. He spoke Shavuot Snaita. The rabbi told me the story. He said, he's been studying you know, Judaism. And, and so he told the rabbi, listen, he says, in Christianity, he said, it's like a love affair with God. God loves you. We love God, the whole thing. You know, it's like a young couple, you know, all in love with each other. He goes, in Judaism, it's like an old married couple. <laughs> what do you call it? We're, like, we're not talking about, the, but you know, it's, they're arguing over everything, but they're just together all the time. Just a little. I don't know how we got to that, <laughs> but it's in the afternoon, so we want to wake you up. No, no, we're talking about Elohim and God's connection to man. And it's interesting, the only thing that God creates in His image is man. But the big question is, what's the meaning of Selah Elohim? Now, if I'm looking at that parallel, yeah, is there a connection between land animals and man? Yeah. Oh, easy, for sure. There's an obvious connection. Ask any zoologist, anthropologist, right? Um, there's, a, there's, there's so many similarities between Man and animal, just go to the Museum of Natural History to study evolution. Okay? Now, are there any differences between man and animal? Of course. Of course, yeah. No. But are they significant? That's a big question. Yeah. Yes, now, so just like Aretz leads to the plant kingdom, it makes sense they're on the same day, so too animal and man is on the same day. Because Chumash is noting the obvious, that man is like an animal. 
Now, on the other hand, just like there's a quantum leap from, day, from 3A to 3B, what's Chumash screaming? There's a quantum leap from animal to man. Yeah. Now, in other words, man is different than animal, and Chumash wants you to pay attention to that, that man is different than animal. And it does it in a very interesting way, through structure. Got the idea? Now, if we had time, I'd show you does it in another way. Because the, word, the verb bara is very important in Breshit, isn't it? Because yeah. the, the verb bara rarely ever happens. Because most commentaries say bara is something from nothing. Only God can do bara, I'm pretty sure. Um, maybe a couple mukubalim. But, <laughs> but bara is only an action done by God because it's something from nothing. Again, that's an argument. But in general, it's something, it's something significant, bara. And the first bara we find in Chumash is where? Breshit bara lokim. Shemayim Ba'aretz. That takes us through what day? When is Shemayim Ba'aretz finished? No, because Shemayim Ba'aretz, Aretz isn't until day three. And Shemayim isn't finished until day four. So therefore, because we need Ma'orot, Barakiyah Shemayim, I think. So this, now, what happens at the beginning of day five when I move to animals, like real living things, not just plants? How does day five begin? What's God say in day five? What, how's day five begin? Day five is, um, Yisrtu Hamayim Sher Sefesh Chaya. And how does God do it now? Not Bayas. Now we have the famous verb, Vayivrali Metatanidim, but call. Now, when we get to the land animals, I mean to the animals, sea animals, when we begin with living things that move, um, we have the verb bara. And we have bara one more time. Guess where? When God makes man. So again, from two different angles, Chumash is highlighting God's creation of man being special, plus using the plural verb naseh. What, what I'm trying to show you is through structure and peculiar use of words and, and what we call format and structure, Chumash is telling you, pay attention, there's something special about man. Now, what I'm trying to suggest is Chumash is doing that, that that's objective analysis, and I think it's intentional. And Chumash is trying to teach man something about the nature of his creation. Not what happened, but why it happened. Because if I'm studying a book from God about our relationship with God, I expect that God should tell me some, somewhere along the line, why, what's the meaning of life? And why am I different than animals? Now, um, let's go back a step now. Um, and I want to, before I go back a step, uh, the Rambam, Maimonides, pays attention to this. And he has this famous book called The Guide for the Perplexed which actually means the guide for the un, unsettled. Because if you're perplexed, you know, it's, means unsettled. Not just perplexed. And it's really a commentary on Chumash. He, tell, he tells you that in his introduction, that instead of writing a commentary on Chumash, he wrote instead Moray Nebuchim. And it's really boring. <laughs> <laughs> and if you get through his introduction, you read to section one, the three sections. Chapter one, he begins with definitions. And surprise, surprise, the very first definition the Rabbah gives in Moray Nebuchim is, what is Tzelem Elohim? And he gives a mathematical definition. Not, he's saying this, I'm summarizing what he's saying. What he basically says is, what is Tzelem Elohim? It's sigma man minus sigma animal. I hope you understood that. What's sigma mean? Remember sigma? Pardon the Greek. What? Sigma is the sum total of. Take the sum total of man, whatever that is. Subtract from that the sum total of animal, and what do you got? Tzelem Elohim. In other words, he doesn't give a, a precise definition, but he gives a very general definition. And if man notices that there's something different between man and animal, even though there's a lot of similar things, 
if man notices in some, in some significant way, and almost in a quantum leap, there's a significant difference between man and animal, what does Chumash call that difference? Selim Elohim. Got it? Which means Elohim, someone with power. And if I want to be sort of cute, when create, the last thing that God creates is man, Betemol. Creation is over. How do we know creation is over? Because what comes after Friday? Shabbos. Shabbos. God rests and it's over. And he, and he finished creating. That's it. There's no more acts of creation. But the last thing he created is man with the ability to be creative, which we'll talk about soon. And creation is over and what we call civilization begins. Now, creation is not over because creation continues. But creation is over. But the last thing God makes is someone or something which has the ability to be like God. Now, what does man do with that creative ability? Well, God wants him to do good. He can do good, he can do bad. He has what's called, he can do yitzirah, can he? He can yitzirah, he can create things. He can be super creative. Some people have a beautiful custom to remember that. Once a week they stop all creativity to remember who gave them that creative ability. You might know people like that. Um, the, the, um, but that creative ability is a gift from God. And sort of one of the challenges of life is, what do I do with my creative ability? First, is it good to use it? And how do I channel it? Um, well, the same words, Yetzer. What's Yetzer? Doesn't Yetzer and Yetzer go hand in hand? Okay. Now I have the ability to be Yetzer. I can, cre- I can be creative. But I can do it for good or for bad. What we call Yetzer Tov, Yetzer Ra, things like that. Now, go back a step for a minute. And think for a minute. And I'll try to do this together without doing too much, uh, without having too much participation. Um, think for a minute, and without answering. Think for, pretend you're an observant Jew. An observant person. I mean, not observant. I mean, observing things. Not observant. Obser- not observant, not thinking. I'm talking about observant, like about life. Let's say you came from an alien from outer space. And you were watching humans. Yeah, your project from outer space, from Mars, was to observe, you know, Earth, and note how are humans different than animals? What would you notice? Speech. Give me something. Speech? No, maybe, maybe Dopplers. I mean, animals talk to each other. The Speech? What? 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 The ability. Wait, thinking, wait, thinking you can't, I don't know, because it depends what thinking means. The that, 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 that's, it could be. Well, one second. Yeah. But that's already, that's already a general, I'm talking about observation before reaching conclusions. What? Man makes tools, that's for sure. Man, humans are there. Man makes tools. One second. Okay? What else is there? Man. Clothing. Very good. I think Abigail gave a share on that beforehand. Who's in her share? I'm not sure. I don't know what she said, but clothing is a... You know, and and, and um, anthropologists have trouble with that one. Because why did man shed his fur just to make clothing? But the only living thing that requires clothing is man and his dog. Um, <laughs> okay. Clothing is a key difference, isn't there? Now... Create, being creative, like making fire and industry, making, making tools, making, um, I think, um, animals, every other living thing has day and night. Do we have day and night? Well, we have day and night because we need time for davening. But do we have day and night? We don't have night anymore. We have light, don't we? Yeah. Words, we solve the problem of night. Words, we have ma'or. Shem men, olam ma'or. Remember? We have oil, don't we? Man used his creative ability, his thinking ability, and with industry, he squeezes olives and makes light. Okay. So we have clothing, we have industry for sure. Um, how, how about if, he, if he's going, watching his diet? But man, right, but did the animals eat things? 
Wait one second. What? What? They don't overeat. Humans don't overeat either. <laughs> it's called fressing. Okay. Now, um, now, um, unless you went to a Pesach program. Now, um, one, one second. Hold on, uh, because we're not going to have too many questions in class. Okay. Now, um, what are we up to? I'm sorry. Uh, if, as far as food goes, animals, animals eat. Gra- what do they do? They, they, yeah, yeah. But they don't. Animals don't cook. They definitely don't make bread. If we make bread, they'll come and steal it. But they don't make bread. They don't grind flour and make bread. They're smarter. They just eat. They eat grass, don't they? We smoke it. They, they <laughs> we, we, right? they eat shrubbery. They eat fruits and vegetables. Got it? Yeah. We process the food, and we what, basically man domesticated wheat. Got that? Right? How about eating other animals? They do that. They do that, don't we? They do that. Do we do that? Do we? But do we do it the same way they do? Do they have Ivermina Chai? They eat Ivermina, don't they? Do we? Even if you're not Jewish, right? Um, did they cook their meat? And sing campfire songs around it? No? Right? And make cholent? They don't make cholent. That's for sure. That's the essence of creativity. Now, uh, now it's, we take our meat and we cook it. We process our food. And um, they, they eat grapes. We eat gra- what do we do with our grapes? We make wine. We ferment it. There's a lot of things that we do that... Ref- which are, that's, 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 that's observing man. Now, what gives man that ability? So you can say his ability to think and his ability to, like that. Okay, one, one more, one more minute. So what, what I'm, if you see what I'm getting at, there's a lot of things where man is, is, um, significantly different than animal. Now, the question is, what does man do with that ability? And the fact that he's different man than animal. So just in case you didn't catch up where we're going with this, if you look at the Mishkan, is there anything that we do in our daily service that reflects what's special about man over animal? Like, do we bring grapes to the temple? Or do we bring wine? We bring wine. Do we bring flour? Or do we bring flour? Do we bring grain? Or do we bring bread? Right? Don't we? Um, what type of animals do we bring? Domesticated animals. The animals we make money out of. Remember, if you know your anthropology, right, the big um, agricultural revolution... Was man domesticating wheat? Now, first is the language revolution, but the big one, in fact, when civilization started about 10,000 years ago, you know, human civilization parallels biblical history and, and the um, domesticating wheat, changing our diet, and domesticating animals pretty much begins civilization because a man has to... What happens? Now that he's domesticating animals and domesticating wheat, he's got to stay put, doesn't he? he need, what's he need? He's not going to live in a cave. He needs a tent or a house. How many animals do you know live in a house? Uh, unless you're nesting. I mean, empty nesting. But nest doesn't count. But structures, pyramids, but houses, tents, things like that, buildings, animals don't do things like that. Humans do. Uh, okay. But I'm saying nothing, nothing to the degree, uh, maybe a little bit, nothing to the degree that man does. And nothing to the fact that almost, almost every, human li- every human being lives in some type, some type of structure. When we went from hunter-gatherer to, um, to domesticated man. Now, uh, did you note any connections to the Mishkan yet? I hope you did. We're going there. Got it? The Mishkan is... is now, it's everything we do in the Mishkan, and almost everything in the Mishkan, is a reflection of those differences between man and animal. So if I'm going to bring an animal to God, it's going to be a domesticated animal. Remember, what's the famous profession? There's two of them. Um, the male profession... What? What, what, 
when you domesticate wheat and domesticate animals, you can become a farmer or a shepherd, don't you? Isn't it? There's a shepherd and a farmer. <laughs> Another share about kind in heaven. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> it's classic. Those are the two classic professions, aren't they? What's more important? You know, go argue, go fight over it. <laughs> there goes your brother. Now, um, <laughs> um, you would think that uh, after the flood, what's, what's Noah going to do after the flood? He's going to make wine, right? Is it good or bad? No, it depends how you, what you do with it. Your, um, remember Migdal Bavel? They burn fire, industrial revolution. You know, they make brick, they make building materials better than, they build a city, they build house, they build wool. Right? They're, they're, it's amazing how creative man can be. And the challenge of, of civilization is what does man do with his creativity? And therefore, what I, what I want to point out, and we'll go oh, through them in a minute, is that man's taking his creative ability right, and sort of showing off, not showing off, um, called theater maybe, right? in the temple or in the Mishkan, what's man going to do? He's going to do examples of serving God with his creativity. He's going to take what's special about man over animal. Because once man notices there's a difference between man and animal, that's when religion begins. There's nothing wrong with living like an animal. I don't think. I mean, there's no Easter in that. You know, a human, in many ways, is like an animal. You understand how cool the parallel is from land to, to from land animals to man? Because ask an anthropologist, man is very similar and comes from an animal. On the other hand, I'm telling you, even though he looks similar, in many ways he is similar, he's very different. Now, I can study anthropology and realize I'm just a super-duper ape and live and enjoy life and I'm king of the hill. Or I can understand that God entrusted me with that creative ability to do something constructive with it, to be a partner with God in creation. That's where religion comes in. And if God wants mankind to recognize that, to take his creativity and be good, God wants a special nation to do that as a model nation. Understand? And therefore, I'm going to need a reminder that I'm chosen by God to be his model nation. And the Torah, remember that event where we took upon ourselves to be God's people. We call that revelation is going to be key to our national existence. But at the same time, I need to remember what the meaning of life is about and what man, what's the challenge of, of life and creativity. And for that, I'm going to need... Well, the Mishkan will do both, right? The Mishkan is going to be a reflection both of Revelation and the Mishkan will also be a reflection of creation. And then we finally got to the title. Okay. We're good now? Okay, so that's the uh, thing. Again, we could spend another five hours on Parak Aleph and Brishit. And not to mention Parak Beit, where we get good and bad. Now, there's one other, one other Bayomer Lokim, which is really interesting, in day six. Look in day six again. There's one more, who learned Perkei Avot? Towards the end, I think the fifth parak. It starts playing the numbers game in Perkei Avot. What's the big number? Isn't there a big, a whole set of ten things? Yeah. yeah, how's it begin? There's one of those, it says, how's it begin? Basaram Mamrot Livraholam. Creation took place in ten Mamrot. You understand what that means now? Because in Breshid it says Vayomer ten times. So if you're a short one, you can pick up from whom our rabbis find ten. It's got to be ten. Yeah. Which means, and what they ask, couldn't God just said one Vayomer and done it all? But what did Chazal learn from there? To give schar for tzadikim. You follow? And, and to punish the Rashaim. See what Chazal are up to? They make these statements which sound like this cute. But behind what they're saying is a very deep understanding of what's going on in Chumash. They're telling you that when I study the story of creation, it's teaching me about what behavior God expects from man. That was, I, I need to understand that there's more than one Vayomer. Vayomer in Breshit are coming to teach me something, and when I study Prayer Kalaf and Breshit, 
I'll get a better understanding of what is it that God wants from men. Now, um, what are we up to? Oh, look in day six again. So we had the first Vayamir Elohim is land animals, right? And they're good, aren't they? It gets an evaluation? Yeah. We get to man, and then Nasedem Betzameinu, command, followed by a, a, um, a, what do you call it? By a execution. And what's man's job now? What, what does God put him in charge of? Everything under the sun. Because who's in charge of everything in the sky? Who's Milsheba Yomavalayla? That's the sun and the moon. No, God's in charge, but God, it, it appears to be many gods. That's why it's called Elohim, because there's lots of gods. There's a sun god and a moon god and a nature god. There's tons of gods. Chumash is telling you what appears to be many gods is one god. And therefore, it conjugates Elohim in the singular and teaches you monotheism. But in addition to that, man is like a god because he's got lots of power. But his, just like the sun got his power from God, because it's the son of God. No, he made it. Uh, S-U-N, I'm sorry. Keep you awake. Um, also, God made man and gave him power. But man, just like the sun needs to understand us, Shemayim is not bring forel. Pay attention to Davening. We talk about this all the time. The very existence of nature praises God. Man has to realize that his creative ability also has the potential to praise God and to serve God. But he also has the potential to do bad. In fact, is man evaluated or not? Is 6B get a good? Does it get a, does it get a grade or not? What? That's a very good observation. But what gets the tov ma'od? Does man get the tov ma'od? Look carefully. What gets the tov ma'od? Everything he did. In other words, if man is, works with creation, then we get a tov mode. But sometimes man can be bad. That, 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 read the rest of Hamish. Okay. Now, now, is, is there another Vayom Elohim? Take a look at it. What Pasuk is it in? Yeah. Well, what, Pasuk Haftet, I think? Yeah. In Pasuk Haftet, there's another Vayom Elohim. Why don't I have 6C? Follow the format. Why isn't Vayom Elohim in Pasuk Haftet? Read it out loud for me. Yeah. Co-8s. Okay, yeah, yeah. Now, why is that not 6C? Why is that another act of creation? Because it's not a command. It's not followed by an execution. It's, it's not a, God's not creating anything here. On the other hand, he's giving man sort of a command or a diet. And what diet does man have? Man's not only a veggie. Man, but what's he have over animal? What, what do animals eat in, in Pasach Haftet and Lamed? What, what do animals get to eat? Plants. Plants. They get yarakasib, don't they? What does man get? Fruit. He can eat fruit. That's what man gets and gets him in trouble. Read the next chapter. But, but man is different than animal here. He gets fruit. Animals just get to graze. Things change after the flood. Uh, but man doesn't eat animal here, does he? Because he's totally different than animal. He's not part of the animal kingdom. That changes after the flood, doesn't it? Because after the flood, man can eat animal like yarakasib. Now, is that good or bad? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> now, is that a downgrade? Now you're part of the animal kingdom? Or is that an upgrade? Now you're king, now you get the... No, that's a big question. When man eats, when a man eats animal, is that a sign that he's better and different than animals? Or is it making part of the animal kingdom? No, can eating meat make you like an animal? You are what you eat and make you act like an animal and it's a, and therefore, oh, I'm so human, I'm not gonna touch meat. Or, can I eat meat? And that can inspire me and remind me that I'm different than animals, the way I cook them and eat them. And maybe if I eat meat, that can bring me closer to God. How does Chumash solve that problem? It's called Karbonot. If you read Vayikra, what's it say? If you ever want to eat meat, it has to be a Korban. Correct? 
if you read Vayikra carefully, comes Devarim, who's worried about Bamot. If every time you meet, you have to bring a Korban, no one's going to go to Yerushalayim. They're going to start a Shebel. A Shebel. Uh-huh. And, and that's going to cause Bamot, and that's going to get out of hand. So what does, what does Sefer Devarim allow? It's called Basar Tava. You can eat meat, but you treat it like a Korban. You have to shecht it, don't you? What, if it was meat, what would go on the Mizbeach? The blood and the Chelev. So what do you do? You shecht it, and whatever would go on the Mizbeach, on the altar, you don't... You do it. And we call that... Oh, you kashras. And we call that making lot of money. We call that kosher meat, don't we? Right. And it keeps us in... We can support our yeshivot now with the uh, with ashkacha. Right. Now, again, do you understand the argument? Is it good or bad to eat meat? It, it's a good question. It's a, it's a legitimate question. I think Chumash has a, a bit of an answer. Now, let's get on to um, the Mishkan now. What I want to do and show you now is that when I look at the Mishkan and all the different elements of the Mishkan, surely we're going to find lots of parallels to Har Sinai, because we need to remember we're chosen by God. But in our little sort of theater that reminds us of our connection to Har Sinai, I need a daily reminder and a constant reminder that we're chosen by God to serve Him, because that's what we're about as a nation. And I need, as the Ramban explains, um, we never leave Har Sinai, we take it with us. That's Ramban in chapter 25, in Parsha Truma, in Shemot. He basically says that we can't leave Har Sinai, we take it with us. And we take it with us, Har Sinai was Nikla, we saw God, in the Mishkan, it's hidden, called Distar. He's a Kabbalist, of course. But he explains beautifully, based on objective analysis, followed by subjective interpretation, which is very compelling. Read him, He's, you can't argue with him. Is that we need a Mishkan, or at least a Mikdash, we need some symbol to remind us constantly of God's, that we're God's people. Not that He chose us, but that we're working for Him. You follow? In other words, we need a reminder, not only that we're better, that we're, that, that we need to be better, that we have a job to do as God's people, and that's, our tradition for every generation. Now, um, but when we serve God, when we're going to do things on a day-to-day basis, if we're going to sort of act out um, in a theater way in the Mikdash and remind ourselves what life is about, everything we're going to do in the Mikdash is going to be a reflection of our creative ability, especially the things that make us different than animals. So let's take a look now at another unit. Now, open up Sefer Shmot Perek Chafe, Parshat Truma. Shmot um, Parsha Truma. Okay. Chapter 25. Um, do Exodus 25.1 search. On your, I'm sure you all have on your smartphones, don't you? But you're familiar. Now, Vayikra uh, Chafei. And we'll, let's see if it matches up what you guys told me about the difference between man and animal. Vayikra, no, I'm sorry, Shmot. What's Vayikra have to do with, oh, it has a lot to do with Korban. But we want Shmot. Shmot chapter 25. Shmot chapter 25. Okay, but you can listen as well. It's fine. And you can rebuild it. Uh, hopefully what we did, you don't need... What, once we did this, hopefully you don't need your notes. It should make enough sense that you can rebuild it. You can re- re- reconstruct. reconstruct yeah. Now, in chapter 25, it begins with God tells Moshe, um, you know, first collect money. That's human. <laughs> That's Jewish. <laughs> uh, Moshe wanted to be a rabbi and being a, a fundraiser <laughs> and a lawyer. Now, um, so we collect the things. Remember Vasuli Mishkan, Mikdash, Vashachanti Petocham. We need a reminder. And by the way, the word, just for the fun of it, one other word about methodology. Remember, man doesn't do such a good job following God, Gan Eden, and he throws him out. What's protecting the way to get back to God, to back to Gan Eden? No. But what verb does Chumash use? Yeah. Not just Kruvim is what protects, but what, but what does God put there? What's the verb that Chumash uses? It says, Vayashken Hashem. He's Vayashken Etakruvim. 
Got that? Vayashken, which sounds like the word Mishkan, Shechina. And therefore, and now, if God's dwelling with us, that means we're working for Him. When, when our partnership is good and working well, when we do a good job representing God, we need a symbol and a reminder that we're working for God, not that He's working for us. And what's the symbol that we're doing a good job as His people? As the Mishkan. Now, just by chance, the only other time you have Kruvim besides Gan Eden is the Mishkan. And everywhere you turn in the Mishkan, you can't miss the Kruvim. Yeah, you look at the Parochet, it's mish- Kruvim, on top of the Aron, there's Kruvim. And that's the only other time you find Kruvim in Chumash. So that's the, one of the big questions. Is, is the Mishkan a commentary on Gan Eden? Or is Gan Eden a story which is a foil in order to understand the, the temple? You follow? There's what came first, the temple or Gan Eden? But that's the question in methodology. But also in philosophy and a lot of things. But what, I'll give you another example. When I read the flood story, remember it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and there's a teva and one guy, I'll kill everyone and make you the only one. You follow? It's Moshe Rabbein. It's, it's Harsinai. It's, it's a promo for Harsinai with the Brit. There, there's so many similarities. And therefore, when I'm studying the flood story, is that a foil to appreciate Harsinai? It's the main topic of Chumash, Harsinai. And I need the stories in Breshit to understand what's going to happen to Harsinai to appreciate what it means to be God's people. Or does it all begin with creation? That's what happened. And it just so happens later on the Chumash models the Mishkan after what happened in creation. There's two different methodologies of how to look at Chumash. I'm not taking a side. just saying it's, a, it's an interesting discussion. But again, that's based on objective analysis with the assumption the book, the Chumash is the book to study and I'm, I learn from what's written not so much from what happened. Now, um, let's go now look in Perakot So we have the collecting the money. Now again, we talked about humans writing, writing, writing things not just language, but writing, actual writing, writing books and publishing before there was internet. And, and writing, having this contract between man and God, but having a written document inside of a tent already is already those are all things which are unique to man. You know, the written word and the document and the contract. Um, so we have the Aron, which, are, which is for sure a reflection of revelation, but also reflects man's creativity and what's special about man. Um, and then we have a house, a housing which is the whole tent. In the tent, we have, a, we have a, a table and a candelabra. What do we put on our table? Bread. Not grain, bread. but rather bread. bread. We'll, see, we'll see later on. V'lechakta solet v'fita chalot. Tafka bread. And we switch it every week. Was week, uh, for sure a week. Week and Shabbat go hand in hand, don't they? Was when I change the lechem apanim once a week, that relates to Shabbat and the whole creation theme. What do I do every day in the Kodesh? I have the menorah. And just by chance, when do I light the menorah? Mi'erabad boker. And it's shemen lama'or. Remember ma'orot? Shemen. We take oil. We take olives. We squeeze. We make a candle. And lighting a candle is a great example of man's creative ability. And lighting it, making light when it's naturally dark, that's a tremendous power that man has. What does man do when he's up all night? Does he write books or... Or what do you call it? Or gets drunk. Now that's the... Ask your teenagers. Now, um, so that's in, in the Mishkan. What's interesting missing is the Mishpach Torah. We don't have time for that, but it's a good reason why it's missing here. Now, then we have the oh, we have the tent, which is which is typical of man living in a tent or a structure, a temporary one. But and that's the whole, that's chapter twenty six, isn't it? What's chapter twenty seven about? Oh. Then we have the outside altar, and we don't just kill animals like animals like humans do. We we cook the animals, don't we? So we feed them to God, we feed them to ourselves, but we take animals, but domesticated animals. There's, the tzon of bakar that we bring, 
the animals that we bring, ask Noah. But what makes the behemah behemah Torah? The domesticated ones, aren't they? Pretty much. They're the ones that we, make, we can make a business out of them. Remember, sheep and, um, we make a business out of sheep, don't we? And cows. In fact, sheep we can make, um, we can make clothing, can't we? Out of, out of linen? Out of, not out of linen. What's wool come from? Sheep. sheep. And linen? Day three, day six? Don't mix those two up. <laughs> you, might, you might not recognize the difference between day three and day six. I don't know what that would explain. Um, no. Well, oh, that's a good point. Shatnas. It's just like, that's right. Samuel Pishtim would be, uh, unless you're maybe, unless you're baking big day kohuna. Oh, that's the next chapter. I'm sorry. We'll get there in a minute. I spoke too fast. Um, I'm sorry. Day three, we, we take animals. We eat animals. And we don't, we don't eat, we don't just eat them, eat them alive. We cook them first, don't we? And we bring them to God. With the animal, we bring bread, not just bread, we bring minchat chavitin, we bake it a special way, creatively, and we bring wine, don't we? You know, by heart. But we bring wine, not grapes. So once a year, we bring water, that's cool. That's, you know, that's special. That's written, that's a, a beautiful minhag, which Chumash alludes to. Water is a big thing in Chumash. But, but the, the daily korban that we bring, the korban tamid, which we bring how often? Boker. What do we have the name of Boker and Erev? And Boker and Erev and Boker and Erev. Was that earlier in Chumash? Oh, then we go back to creation again. Because when would be a good time to think that the sun is a god? When would you think the sun is a god? Well, here comes this, when he's rising, right? What do we do when the sun's rising? As it rises, we turn our back to the sun and we face what direction in the Mishkan? In the Mishkan, we turn our back to the sun at sunrise and we talk about God, don't we? In the Boker. And therefore, Mincha is not at sunset because that won't look so good. Do you remember Mincha Gdola? Now you understand that, but not for now. Now, that's day, that's, um, that's chapter 27. How about chapter 28? Well, actually, the end of chapter 7 is really cool. It, it should be chapter 28, but it's the end of chapter, tw- the beginning of Parshat Tetzaveh. Before we get to Big Day Kuna, which will make sense now, don't they? Because what are Big Day Kuna? Big Day Kuna is clothing. So we make a big deal about clothing, because that reminds us of our connection to God and how we're different than animal. And why God made us with that ability. But right beforehand, we have a special section on Shemin Lamaor. Which for some reason, even though Shemit should be with the menorah, we put it before the big day kuna because the Kohanim's job is going to be to give light, to teach Torah. So there'll be, there'll, there'll be a little exception in, in the structure, but something we can learn from again. Okay. Then what's next? Um, then we make the, uh, we have the big day kuna in chapter 28. And chapter 29, we consecrate the Kohanim and then we have the Korban Tamid, etc. Now, look, look in this whole unit, starting from chapter 25 again if you have a Tanakh Koran, and look at the first word of every parshia, Starting with Vasu Aron and Pasuk Yud. Yeah? And then Vasita Shohan. Chapter 25. Just look at the beginning of every paragraph. We have Vasu Aron, plural. Then Vasita Shohan, followed by Vasita Menorah. Chapter 26. And then, then verse 16, Vasita Takrashim. And the Vasita Parochet. See chapter 26? Every bit. Chapter 27, Vasita Tamizmeach. And Pasek Tet, Vasita Tachatzer Mishkan. A lot of doing going on, right? Then we get to Bidei Kuna. How's it go there? Vasita Bidei Kodesh Laron Echicha. And then how they begin? Vasu Etayifod. Vasita Mishpatzot. Vasita Choshe Mishpat. Vasita Tamio. Vasita Tzitzahav. 
And then Pasuk Hev, V'zeshir Ta'aselehem. Does the word Asiyah ever come up in, in creation? Does it say, Bayasel Limet Arakiyah? Bayas, of course, it comes everywhere. In fact, there's two stories. There's, in Tarek Aleph, there's the Bayomer creation, and there's the Bayas creation. It's another, it's a whole other share, which we're not going to do now, but, but it's, it's there. Um, so, but when we're building the Mishkan, I'm sure you've heard that before, the building, the building the Mishkan is like completing creation. Wouldn't it be nice if we actually put it together, we had another Baikulu? Lasot. Lasot, of course, that's on Shabbat. Could you can work on, could you do work on Shabbat? Well, you can, you can do work in the Mishkan on Shabbat, you can't build it on Shabbat. But, but, what can't you do? What do we do? To remember that we're God's people, to remember this theme of creativity and using it properly, we take time out once a week from all creativity, to remember that, we sh- that we're supposed to work six days a week. That's in the Ten Commandments. People don't, we don't machmer on that, but. We're supposed to work six days a week, and Shabbos is to give meaning to the six days of work. Now, um, you do things for, in the service of Lach you can't do, but Melachet you can do. And Melachet Machshevet. And the seven, on, on Shabbos, all of a sudden the word Melacha comes up. All six days of creation, there's no Melacha. It's not there. On day seven, the word Melacha is everywhere, isn't it? For some reason, the rabbis learn Melacha from Shabbat, from, from the Mishkan. How, you follow? They're reading Chumash carefully. They're not making it up. But the, the Halachot of Shabbat are a reflection of their subjective interpretation of the subjective analysis. They just, they just don't walk you through it like we're doing now. Now, uh, look at the end of, of, Parsh, of Sefer Shemot. It's sort of cute. It's sort of Shemot. Um, I'm sorry. You're, you're still... I'm sorry. Before you go there. Go back to Perak Lamed. We are at the end of Perak Haftet. The end of Perak Haftet, we have a nice unit. Perak Haftet ends with the Korban Tamid, Baboken Ba'erev. And we have a nice, beautiful summary of... Um, we finish the whole Mishkan unit, and then we have all the extras. And all the extras will be things that are, have a different function. Like the smoke reminds us of the Anan and Harsinai, the Ktoret. There's some, they're protective, washing your hands, the Kior. Those, there's things that are, that are our Vodah that we do, and now that we're working, I need, like, fire, this whole fancy thing here. I didn't build this building to have fire extinguishers. They might cost more than the whole building, but I didn't build it to put in fire extinguishers. I built it to have a, a, a table and a shulchan. Once I built the house, now I need protection. Or for in case of emergencies. Same thing. Now that I built the mishkan and God dwells with us, I need protection from the shekhinah. So I need a cloud. I need uh, to wash my hands. I need clothes and things like that. Now, go now to the end of Sefer Shemot, which we're almost there. We have two, how much time left? Five minutes, right? Seven minutes. Now, look at the end of Sefer Shemot. And just to make sure we did it right, look at chapter 40, the end of Shemot Perak Mem. But I want to explain why I didn't put a source sheet. What I'm showing you, you can't do on the source sheet. You can only see it in the Tanakh Koran that's got Parshiot. The source sheet won't help. You need to see it on the, in the inside. But for, you can do it for homework. Look in, look in Perak Mem. Notice there's, uh, we put the whole thing together in Perak Mem. Rosh Chodesh Nisan, we put the whole Mishkan together. And look how every parsha, every paragraph, how it ends as you put it together. See, look in, in Perak Mem Pasuk, what's it? Tetzayin. And then they put it together. And every single parsha ends. You can look at it. 
Just if, again, if you have a takhor and you see it, I think 10, 15 times. Remember, Chumash, does, it's, Chumash doesn't waste words, but it's very wordy. But the wordiness teaches you something. And everything is kashir tziva Hashem Moshe, kashir tziva Hashem Moshe, over and over again. And then, um, look in Pasuk Lamed Gimel. We'll put the end of it. In, in Perek Mem, Pasuk Chab Gimel. I mean, Perek Mem, Pasuk Lamed Gimel. Vayekamu chatzer saviv mishkan the mizbeach yitain at masach shar chatzer. And what's the last line? Vayecham Moshe tamlacha. And if I want to do a little bit cuter, um, what's that? Look, go back to Perek Lamed Tet, because they, it really repeats itself over and over again. But in Perak Lametet, when they put it all together, when they bring it before they put it together, in Pasak Lametet, Fatecha ko avodat mishkan o homoid, vayasu b'nei soch hasher tiba Hashem in Moshe Kenesu. Got it? See, asiyah. And therefore, what's the mishkan? You see, you can't miss the parallel to Vayhulu. And when the rabbis say that the mishkan is sort of a completion of creation, it's not, it's, completion doesn't mean completion. It means a, a reflection, I think, more than a completion. But we're continuing God's creation. Means God's entrusting man with civilization. It's man's job to take civilization and go forward with it. Now man can do good or can do bad. And God chose a nation to be a model nation of how to be creative. We're supposed to work. And we're supposed to have a state and a people and a community and work and work for a living. Now, we need to study Torah to know how to be creative and how to channel that creativity the right way. Now, we need to learn to have a guideline of, of how we build our society and how to build a model society. But through our study, through our study, through our study of the laws, it teaches how to live and how to build that society as, as individuals, as families, as communities, and as, as nations. And we take that creative ability, and and the Mishkan is going to be our daily reminder of our purpose as a nation. Now, um, one other one other point um, that I did. We talked about theater. So the holidays we didn't get into, but like Yom Kippur, like remember Moshe goes up to get the second luchot. The second things with, with Midot Torah Hamim. So I, I can view almost everything I'm doing in the Mishkan as a type of a theater of day-to-day life. And sometimes a theater of national events. Like Moshe receiving the second Luchot on Har Sinai, coming down with his face beaming. Remember Mari Kohen? And almost every time, everything, when you look carefully at the Mishkan, I can simply view the Mishkan sometimes as a theater of, of day-to-day life. And through acting out what day-to-day life should be about. Um, be it, be it again, as a human being. That, for example, when we do, do we make a special deal in halacha when we process food better than God made, like we take grain and grind it and make it into bread. Does that does that have a does that come into halacha anywhere? That's called that's hamotzi lechem. Is there something with grapes that way? Is that same thing? You understand wine? You understand which brachot and dafka we make geffen only not on grapes, but only when we process it. Lechem only when we do it, even though God did it. And we did it. We say God did it, even though we did it. Now, aren't we lying when we make Hamotzi Lechem in Aretz? Because bread doesn't grow on trees. We make the bread. But God gave us the ability to make bread. So making the bracha is, is recognition that even though I'm doing everything myself, you know, it's, I drove to the bakery. I'm saying, no, it's I, it's, I did everything myself, but I'm treating it as though God did it. Same thing with benching. So, so those are the ideas where I'm trying to show you that when I study creation, story, it's not just, oh, let's say someone could prove to you that creation didn't happen that way. Let's say someone can prove to you, you went to college, you studied, and, you, and someone proved to you it's been 20 billion years, whatever it was. Does that mean Chumash is wrong? No. It's just telling you, it's not telling you what happened, it's telling you why God created. Because that's what life is about. Chumash doesn't need to tell you what happened, or how God did it. He'll tell you why God did it, 
Because that's what Jewish life is about, and that's our connection to God. Um, now, we don't have a Mishkan anymore, because one, we got, God took away for a couple of reasons. One, because it was misunderstood, because we thought God was working for us, and if we feed him enough, like our great uncle, our rich uncle, you know, he'll, he'll give us what we want. When the Mishkan was terribly misunderstood, over and over again, the, the prophets tell us, it's doing more harm than good. So, what, the Mishkan isn't the reason that God dwells with us, the Mishkan is the reflection that God dwells with us. And when it's not a proper reflection, we don't have one. Um, and therefore, missing the Mishkan means missing, it's like getting a bad report card. Remember what Chazal say? Any generation that doesn't build it, so we lost it. So we need that constant reminder that we're not worthy of God's presence, but the way we build it back is not by building it, it's by understanding what it's about. So the rabbis did something ever since the temple was destroyed. What they do in Yavna? Um, they turned uh, the basic function of the Mikdash, they moved it to the shul, didn't they? Remember, the shul is a model of the Mishkan, of the Mikdash. We have the Aron Kodesh and a social hall in the back. And we eat and we talk about clothing, don't we, in shul? <laughs> and, uh, and, building, and building funds. Almost everything about Jewish life is in the shul. But how do we do it? So when, what replaces this theater, sort of, of day to the life, going to the Mishkan was supposed to remind you of what day to life should be like. How do you take your creative ability and use it in the service of God? Um, so instead of that, we have what's called tefillah, don't we? Tefillah keneged korbanot means that instead of it corresponds to. And uh, we quote from Moshe, meaning even when we had a temple, the purpose of the temple service was to remind us of the nature of our connection to God. So in essence, tefillah fulfills the same purpose. When we come and daven every day, it's not remembering that God works for us, it's remembering that we work for Him. And that we have to thank God for our ability to be, to be creative, to use life productively and take that creativity to taking our creativity, using it constructively, and doing it as serving God, so we can achieve by understanding what the Korbanot were about, and what Korbanot Tamid were about. Um, if we do that every day, that can be a good guide, and a good reminder of how to live our lives on a day-to-day basis. Okay? Thank you very much. Thank you.